Um, I want to invite Patty uh, to come up and uh, lead us in our, our reading of the word uh, this morning. Thanks, Patty. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Psalm 138, the Psalm of David. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple, and I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. That you may be seated. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are grateful for the gift of this morning, grateful for the gift of being able to worship corporately. We know that we have brothers and sisters in this world uh, for whom uh, the freedom um, to worship is not a reality, and yet, um, God, the persecuted church persists in worshiping you. And so I pray that we would be mindful of how fortunate we are, and that as we gather and worship, we would be mindful of our brothers and sisters in the world who believe so much in the power of the gospel and the reality of your kingdom that they persist in pursuing you and making disciples. God, may we be inspired and challenged in that way. May we live lives uh, that are poured out for you. As we approach your word this morning, may it be as it says of itself, living and active, that you would use it to penetrate us to the deepest parts of who we are, that we would not leave this place unchanged. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things, God, for our good and for your glory and for the, the benefit of this world around us. Amen. Amen. For those of you who are just joining us this morning, and by the way, I want to welcome uh, those of you who are joining us online. I know that we had a bit of uh, technical um, difficulty there at the beginning, and so you were staring at a blank screen. Uh, maybe you heard us, maybe you didn't, but we're, we're glad to have you uh, as well. Um, and I am so thankful for the live stream because I got to worship uh, last week uh, on my way down to the beach, so I'll talk about that in just a moment. But for those of you who are, are just joining us, we are uh, in a... For the past several summers, we've done what we call a summer reading series, and that is that we spend an extended amount of time in, in one place in Scripture. We've done the book of Acts, we've done uh, John, we're doing Psalms this summer. Obviously, we're not trekking through the entirety of the Psalms in one summer. Um, that would be, we couldn't do it. Uh, but we have, we have just allowed the Spirit to, to lead us um, to some psalms that we feel like are, are important, but one, what I, I hope that we come to understand and appreciate about the psalms, and if you haven't picked up one of, um, one of your psalms journals in the back, I would invite you to do so. It has the psalm for each week and then some questions to consider, um, and I know that several of you are just spending the week 
on that psalm, the psalm for the coming week. You're just preparing your heart to come. And, and many of you, based on what you're reading and hearing from the Lord, could probably stand up here and, and preach and say, hey, here's what I'm hearing from God about this psalm. But the idea is that we begin to appreciate the psalms for what they are. There's a place in, in the Gospels where Jesus talks about the Pharisees as being whitewashed tombs, meaning that they are beautiful on the outside. They, they present in a way that's very uh, religious and pious, and yet on the inside they are full of decay. And I believe that part of that comes when, when we are not honest about what is happening on the inside. And the Psalms, if they do anything, give us permission to be honest about our humanity and give us permission to be honest about those, the, the emotion and the feeling that comes in, in looking at the world around us and being so hurt on, on behalf of those who are hurting and broken and, and, and concerned about the things that are happening or things in your own life you just feel like I've been faithfully praying, God, and pursuing your heart for this thing, and yet I don't seem to be able to see any result or any response from you. How does that make you feel? Share that with the Lord. Be honest about where you are. Or maybe it's a a, a psalm like we looked at it the very first week and one that we're looking at this morning, a psalm of thanksgiving. The, the, the Psalms teach us how to rejoice. It gives language um, for, for what, we are, what we are feeling and our sense of rejoicing and gratitude for who God is and, and what God has done. So we just want to give you permission to spend time in the Psalms this summer. We said at the very beginning, if you were to read through the Psalms in their entirety, uh, read about three Psalms a day, and obviously you're going to do a little bit more when you get to Psalm 119, but that'll, that'll allow you to be in the Psalms through the summer um, by about the time we finish up. And if you're just starting, you're going to have to do some catch-up. But that's okay. Uh, But know that the Psalms for us, they were uh, for God's people who were in exile. They were for God's people coming out of exile. They were for Jesus, the language of prayer and worship uh, for God's people. Uh, And and I believe for us, they can be uh, the same. Psalm 138 is a part of a grouping of, of psalms uh, that, that are a collection of psalms that make up or are found in, in book five. And, and this grouping of eight psalms, 138 through 145 in, in book five of, of the psalms, are attributed uh, to David, and that is to, uh, to King David. And, and they, they form this kind of closing uh, chorus uh, to to the Psalms, in which we go back to and hear the words again of David. Now, this is a little bit different picture of David than, say, we see in Psalm 118, the warrior king and the one who, who sees the God who thunders out of his temple, who comes off of the mountain to help those who are in need to fight for his people. What we find here is a picture of David who is in need, a picture of David who is humble, uh, and, and we saw that last week in, in the psalm that, that Ben preached. So last Sunday, I, uh, well, Saturday, I sent my family to the beach, and then Sunday, I took our younger son, uh, Braden, to camp and dropped him off for what will be four amazing weeks uh, in his life. And I uh, stopped at a gas station in Marion and topped off the car and checked the oil and checked the coolant. And if you drive an old car, like, you know that checklist that you have to do, you know, before you hit the highway. And and so I did all those things, and about the time I got in the car, I thought, man, it is time for church, and I want to be a part of church. And so um, I, I turned the service on and, and was just blessed for um, an hour and a half. Uh, and and I, I, I had it, like, down here. I could hear it. I wasn't, I wasn't staring at my phone while I was driving. Um, but, I, but I could hear um, 
and, and just felt like I was a part of it. And so I'm so grateful to our, our tech crew and, and the work that, that you guys do week in and week out to make this available for people who aren't here in person. Thank you uh, for that. Uh, because because I, got, I got to experience that. And so I, I, I found myself at the end wondering, like, what were people that were driving next to me thinking? Because I rode the roller coaster. I mean, I was like, I was weeping at one point because the worship was just so powerful and, and shouting and like raising my hands, one hand, because the other hand was on the steering wheel. And, uh, and, and just, I mean, and man, Ben, I was, I was just talking back to you, brother. Like you were, just, you brought the word in such a powerful way. I'm so, so, so thankful. And I, and I, um, I just told the, the group later, like I, I, I just was so proud. I'm so proud to be a part of, of this community, and I'm just so grateful um, for you guys and, and your leadership. And, you know, last week we looked at Psalm 51, and if you, if you kind of, you know, grew up with, like, worship in the maybe late 80s, early 90s, then you, those, some of those words were familiar to you. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, renew a right spirit within me, cast me not away from your presence. Oh, I'm not going to sing it, but it's, it's like three chords on the guitar. So, um, or D, G, and A, I'm pretty sure, which is most worship songs that we sing, but... Um, but this, this picture of, of a, a king who was humbled and a king who was desperate for God's mercy. And, and many of us can point to a time in our lives when we have experienced the mercy of God. And, and oftentimes I think that we, that it's important to, to be able to note and name those moments because they're a part of our story, right? They're a part of our journey. But to realize that the mercy of God as the writer of Lamentation says, is new every morning. Changes our perspective on this world because rather than allowing us to kind of live from, from mountaintop to mountaintop, those moments where we like experience, you know, this, like I have this, this moment where I've come face to face with God's mercy and his grace and realize my need for it. And, and oftentimes it's when we're, you know, removed from everyday life. Maybe you're at a retreat or a camp and you have these mountaintop experiences. And those are fantastic, but we don't live life there on the mountain. We live in the everyday of the valley, right? And so this, this to come to a place where we realize and are able every day to thank God for his mercy, like the author of Lamentations and Lamentations 3 he has pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. That is a picture of what some of us feel like everyday life feels like. Or maybe you're in a season of that right now. And then comes this, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. To realize that God's mercy and his faithfulness and his compassion is available to us every day begins to change the way that we live our lives. And that is exactly what we, what we have received from David. That's exactly what Psalm 100 is. That's exactly what Psalm 138 is. And one of the things that's unique about Psalm 138 and some of these psalms that I've, I've just, you know, um, noted here at the end of, of, of the Psalms or at the end of book five is that these are individual Psalms. 
right? This is, this is David pouring out his heart before the Lord. There are psalms that are, that are psalms of, of, of lament. There are psalms that are psalms for, for the, the, the people of God. There are corporate psalm, uh, psalms of worship. There are corporate prayers of lament, corporate uh, songs in which they're seeking uh, for, for God to move. But what we have here is a window into the life of an individual and his posture before the Lord. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. And, and yet for the, the people of God, this would have been an encouragement. And, and I, I think that that is important for us to understand because we, we might encounter something like what we saw David encounter and what Ben so just beautifully shared last week and experiencing the gift and the reality of God's mercy and our need for it. And then it does something to your life. It changes and affects your life. And we're often left to wonder, well, what is... What is my response to that? Like, if I have these mountaintop experiences, what next? What does everyday life begin to look like? Well, this is, for us, a good picture of what that life begins to look like. Last week, I, I was privileged to go and, and spend time uh, at the beach, and I love it. I love, I love being away. I love being on the coast. I love standing before the ocean, often with a fishing rod in my hand. Uh, as, as Patty suggested, I might, uh, may or may not have done a lot of last week. And, and may or may not have been sure to share that with her, um, just to tighten the screws a little bit. But when I got there, it was the, the ocean was calm, and then the first couple of mornings that we, we woke up, I, I felt like I was staring at a giant lake. And then later in the week, the wind began to blow, and the ocean completely changed. It's completely different. It was, it was not fishable the way that it was. You could barely swim in it. And I thought, it's the wind, something that we tend to take for granted, and occasionally we will see the force of the wind here, but the wind is affecting this enormous, gigantic body of water. Yes, I know that the ocean is affected by the moon, and it dictates the tides, but the wind changed the shape of, of what the ocean looked like. And, and for God's people, and, and what I want to lay before us is that the witness of one can affect the worship of all. That your life, in the way that you choose to respond to God's faithfulness, in the way that you choose to respond to God's goodness, can impact the lives of those around you. In David's case, it was the witness of one, of David as king, that impacted the worship and affected the worship of the people of God for generations to come, and is still doing so. So how is your witness helping to shape and inform the worship of people around you? The important thing to understand here, because it's easy to read the Psalms, especially Psalms like this one that are written in the first person, it's easy to read the Psalms and say, well, that's just David elevating himself. Like, of course, it would be easy for David to have some good things to say about who God is because David has been blessed by God in significant ways. Great promises were made to, were fulfilled through, and will continue to be fulfilled through the line of David. So David is, he's, you know, he's pretty high on, on the chain as far as God is concerned, except for the fact that we remember last week that David, the man after God's heart, is far from perfect. That David is broken and has sin just like the rest of us do and is in desperate need for God's mercy just like the rest of us are. 
And so it's not so much that David is elevating himself or drawing attention to himself. It's that David is using the opportunity and taking advantage of the opportunity because of what God has done in his life, not to elevate himself, but to point to the one whose mercy has been made real in his life and to celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of God, not to celebrate his own position because he knows, he realizes that he doesn't deserve that. And so while this is an individual song and a prayer, it is one that is meant and was used for generations to come. In fact, this would have been one of the songs and one of the prayers that the people who are coming um, out of the Babylonian exile would have used and would have turned to. Right? If for 70 years you're stripped away from your home and everything that you knew and, and everything that, you, that, that helped to shape and form your understanding of who you are as a people and who, what your identity is and who God is as your God, if all of that is stripped away from you and if you're taken out of that land and taken away from the place that you worship, then you begin to ask a lot of questions about who you are. And, and for us, maybe it's not being stripped away from your place of worship or from your, your city. Maybe it is. Maybe, you know, this, like maybe you've moved here and you're asking questions about who am I? Like I, I came from the city. Boone is not that. Like I, I, don't, know, I don't know who I am here. Or, or maybe you've had some shift in your life and you're wrestling with like what, who, what is my identity? Because things are not the way that they used to be. And so... These people that are coming out of exile would have turned to the words of David. David, who, who lived nearly 500 years prior, is still leading the people of Israel. Not because he's still alive and walking with them, but because he has taken the opportunity to record and to celebrate and to name the ways that God has been at work in his life, the ways that God has been faithful and has chosen to say, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. And so I wonder, what is it this morning that you would have occasion, what would give you occasion to say to God, I will praise you with all my heart? And that really presents us with our first challenge. Is your praise, is your worship of God with your whole heart? Right, because Jesus, when asked, what is the greatest commandment? Asked by a, a religious leader thinking that they're going to trip him up, Jesus says, well, that, that's simple. And he, he points to, to Deuteronomy, to what the, the people of God knew as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then in, in that instruction there, we, we read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Eugene Peterson in the message says, with all your passion. Can you honestly say, can we honestly say that that is the way that we would describe our love and our worship of God with our whole heart, with our whole being, with our entire focus, with all of our energy, with all of our passion, with all of our strength, that that is the, the nature and the shape of, of my worship? Or do we, like David, need to deal with the other God's. Right, and some translations uh, would, would lead us to believe that this is like celestial beings, but it's believed that David is referring to idols and to, to the, the, the gods of the nations that surrounded uh, the people of, of Israel. And, and we could say, well, I mean, we don't, like here, we don't really deal with that, except for the fact that we have all of us idols. 
and, and you're like, well, I, I, don't have a, like, I don't have like a shrine to an idol in my house. Do you have an App State football room in your house? Do you have a Carolina flag that you proudly display more during basketball season than football season? Do you have a vehicle that you drive that you're like, you keep it covered when you're not driving it? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. All of us, all of us have things that seek to supplant God as being supreme in our lives. And, and so for David to, to say, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart, with everything that I am, before the gods, I will sing your praise. And in Isaiah's time, the way that Isaiah the prophet spoke about other gods was to kind of make fun of them, to say they're, they're, they're worthless, they're nothing. But what we see in David's language here is to not draw the line in the sand and say, I'm going to just make fun of that, which is not like the God of Israel. Instead, I'm going to proclaim over those things that seek to be idols. I'm going to proclaim over the idols that exist around me that they do not stand up, cannot stand up, do not have, are not sufficient enough to stand up to the God of Israel. He is the only one that is worthy of my worship. So what are the idols, what are the other gods in our lives before whom we need to declare and against whom we need to declare and to recognize, you know what, you actually haven't come through in the way that I hoped. You haven't given me purpose in the way that I hoped. You haven't given me meaning in the way that I hoped. You haven't fulfilled me in the way that I hoped. Everything that I poured into chasing you have only been let down and there has been one who has always been there and who has been faithful through that entire journey and it is the God of creation. It is God the Father. It is Jesus the Son. It is the Holy Spirit at work in me who continues to bring me back to this place where I am brought face to face with the inability of the idols that I chase. That is the God that I'm going to worship. That is the one who is worthy of my worship. And idols around me, I need you to hear me. What are the idols, what are the other gods that you may need to proclaim God's goodness to? Proclaim your worship of the God of creation in front of. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. Now, we don't bow down toward the temple in the way that the people of God would have, and this would have meant so much to the people in exile, right? To remember Jerusalem, the place where God's presence dwelt in the temple, the Holy of Holies. But one of the things that we understand about what Jesus, as the great high priest, accomplished was that the veil was torn. The separation between man and God was done away with. Jesus made it possible for us to worship, to praise God wherever we are, wherever we are. Is there a gift in gathering as the body together in corporate worship? Absolutely. It continues to be one of the ways that we, it's an act of defiance against the world around us. But know that your worship can and should happen outside of this space or outside of the space when you are gathered corporately. Because Jesus has made the way for you to approach the throne of grace wherever you are. And to recall, God, what are the ways that you have been faithful what are the ways that your love has been steadfast in my life? And I think that's one of, in, in our distraction and the ways that the world just continues to come at us, it's one of the things that we don't spend enough time rehearsing, and that is God's faithfulness in our lives. Think about where you are right now in this moment in your life. 
And then if you dare, think about where you would be if it weren't for the faithfulness and the unfailing love of God. I would not be here. I would not be standing right here. I would not be married to the woman that I'm married to. I would not have the children that I have. I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that I can say that. That without the unfailing love of God, without his faithfulness, I would not be where I am. Maybe that's a story that, that you need to rehearse. Maybe that's something that God would invite you to, to pay attention to. If you're a journaler, maybe just take some time and, and recall that, recount that. Name the ways that God has been faithful. Name the ways that his unfailing love has been at work in your life and his faithfulness continues to be evident to you. Because I, one of the ways that the enemy would seek to work against that is to have us forget, to become so focused on something that's right in front of us that we forget. We forget the ways that God has been faithful. We forget the ways that his unfailing love has been at work in our lives. He goes on to say, for you have so exalted your solemn decree, that's your word. You have so exalted your word. And it's not a word that is spoken, but the collective, the act of speaking. You have so exalted the fact that you, God, communicate your truth. You have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. Another word there would be name. And you're like, well, hold on a second. Like, David is saying that God's word is more important than God's name, but what David has come to understand in his relationship with God is that for God, God's integrity, God's integrity is paramount. And that is the ability for David, the ability for Abraham, the ability for Moses, the ability for God's people to point to God and say, yes, God is faithful to his word. In God, there is only integrity. God is integritous to the promise, promises that he makes. God is integritous in his faithfulness and his love for humanity. There is no shift. There is no changing with God. As the author of Hebrews would say it, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. What is the hope and what are the truths to which you seek to cling the foundations on which you seek to build your life? Is it rooted in? Are you ordering your life under the goodness of this word? Or are you seeking to, to pick and choose, to choose the things that might suit you? Are you willing to trust the integrity of God, the integrity of God to his word and say, no, this is how I want to learn to worship. I want to be able to recognize the idols that are around me and proclaim against them the goodness of God. I want to hear God's word as being good for me. Sometimes it stings. Sometimes it is painful. God will use his word to refine us and to shape us. But the goal and the image that God always has in mind is a picture of his son Jesus within us, that we might become a reflection of who Christ is in this world. And then this is David's hope, and I love this. That if, if David is to live his life in this manner, worshiping God with all that he is, continuing to uphold the goodness of God's word, to know that God's integrity is wrapped up in the way that God fulfills this word and fulfills the promises, that each promise we know this now is yes and amen in the person of Jesus, then this is David's hope, that his, his worship, his witness begins to affect the worship of the world around him. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord. 
when they hear what you have decreed. Someone earlier prayed for world peace. We, I, 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 I pray, I, I long to see peace come on this earth. I believe wholeheartedly that when that happens, we will be closer that day to Jesus coming and making his, his home here with humanity forever. That he will come and establish his kingdom on this earth, a kingdom in which there is peace. And we can long for that or we can be a part of working to make that happen. David's prayer is that kings would worship the name of Jesus because they hear of the way that God intends for the world to be ordered in a way that God determines is best. How do they hear that if we as the church are not willing to tell of the goodness of God? Romans chapter 10. writes to the church in Rome everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved how then can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them other translations say without someone telling them we can hope for the manifestation and the reality of God's kingdom on this earth or church we can be a part making it a reality we can take up the truth of God we like Paul can take advantage of every opportunity that we may have to share with those around us the reality of God's goodness and the reality of the work that God wants to do in this world Paul is taken before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26 and he's, he's, he's telling the king. He's just laying the gospel out there very plainly, as plainly and as boldly as only Paul can do. At this point, Festus interrupts Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, you, your great learning is driving you insane. Like, Paul, you know too much. Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and, can, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I love Paul's response. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today become what I am, except for these chains. Paul's like, I'm not worried about the timeline. I'm going to keep hounding heaven. And I'm going to continue to be faithful to to the work that God has called me to in the hope, in the hope, King, that you and everyone here would come to know Jesus would come to know the gift, the invitation that exists in the gospel. Is the way that you are living your life and the way that you are bearing witness to the goodness of God is it shaping the environment around you? Is it shaping the lives of people around you? Or is it something you just keep to yourself? Jesus is clear, you don't Light a light and stick it under a bushel because that light does no good. 
Friends, the church, for all of her shortcomings and all of her failings, is still the means in this world by which the gospel would go out. It is still the means by which lives would be transformed. It is still the means by which people would encounter the good news of God. David closes with this. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. This God who is exalted above all, has a heart that beats for the lowly. We see this most beautifully displayed in the ministry and the life of Jesus. And if you're sitting here asking, hey, like I want to live into this. I want my life to be a reflection of what David is saying here. I want the way that I bear witness to God to be uh, so powerful that it shapes the environment around me, that it affects the worship of people around me. How can I do it? This is a good place to begin. Do you allow God to burden your heart for those who are hurting, those who are the least, those who are the lost, those who wander through this world believing that they have no hope, believing that they go unnoticed? Are you willing to pray a prayer? God, would you help me to notice those who need to be noticed? Would you help me, God, to love with your heart? And then David is not out of trouble. He still faces trouble daily, and yet his belief is, God, because you have been faithful before you will continue to be faithful. Trusting that it is God's goodness that is the foundation on which David will build his life. We saw last week that David was called out for the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba. And later, in 2 Samuel Seven, as David is sitting in the palace, he's like, you know, why do I get to sit in this palace and, and God is dwelling in a tent? I think I should build him a temple that is worthy of who he is. And Nathan's like, hey, do whatever you think is best until God comes and lays a vision on Nathan and says, you need to go and tell David what I'm about to tell you. And, and that is essentially, David, you're not the one. You're not the one who's gonna build me a temple. That's not what I've given you to do. One who comes after you is going to be the one who establishes, through whom I establish this throne. And he is, yes, talking about David's son Solomon, but he's also foretelling Jesus, the one who will be seated on the throne whose kingdom will never end. And David, in response, makes this prayer, and I close with this. 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 8. David says, Lord, almighty God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. And you have promised these things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. It must have pained David to know that he was not the one who was going to, to build a, a temple worthy of the God of Israel. But because of 
the faithfulness that he had already experienced because of the way that he had already experienced God's unfailing love for him and his unwavering faithfulness, David was able to say, God, it's, I'm willing to trust you. So would you just bless this house? I feel like I have the courage to pray this prayer because of the ways I've already seen your faithfulness at work in my life. Where's God calling you to be courageous in your prayer and in your worship? Where is God calling you to be courageous in your witness, trusting that it is your witness of who God is that can shape the worship of people around you? Maybe the place to begin is just to invite, God, would you just reveal to me the vastness of who you are? Remind me of how small I am next to you. I'm gonna invite you to stand and I'm gonna read from a book that a friend of mine gave me and actually sent me this uh, prayer this week. This is a prayer, a liturgy for arriving at the ocean. But I want you to hear the language that's used when we're brought face to face with the vastness of God. Friends, I love being at the beach, but I'm gonna tell you there is nothing like driving up the mountains and seeing God's handiwork on display here in the high country. You wanna be reminded of how small you are. Go and spend some time in this incredible place that God has allowed us to live. We praise you, O Lord, for our limits, limits you have given us for our good and your glory. We praise you for this blessing. We praise you for the boundaries of our beings. You have made us finite creatures that we might be held and known. You have made us finite creatures that we might exult in the infinite wonders of your beauty, your majesty, your love, and your power. We have traveled this day to the bounding sea, O Lord, to the far edge of the habitable land, as to the utter end of our own measure and ability and strength to find here reminders of your limitless presence extended immeasurably beyond us. In this place, may we recall our blessed smallness. May we on this lovely shore lay down our pretensions of power, shedding the burdensome dreams of our own grandeur. And may we find instead contentment in our creatureliness. May we grasp the grace that is here so evident. May we know the solace and calm and wonder and delight, reveling here in a rightful place as those who are not and never will be God, but who are yet your beloved image bearers. We are your creatures, alive because you breath, your breath has filled our lungs. We are your people, restored because your salvation has found us. May we, may we wade here in the wild waters of your presence. May we bask here in the golden light of your love. In this blue space of sea, sand, of seething surf and soothing sound, center anew our restless hearts, O Lord, that we might embrace the wonder of the created, that we might be contented in the finitude that moves us to a rightful awe at your awesomeness, to rightful humility at your power, and to a rightful delight in your benevolent affections. May the stresses of obligation, reputation, and deadline here dissolve. May we find rest in the renewed certainty that we need not be feared or respected or popular or successful or somehow perfect to be loved by you. There is no striving here at the end of our limits. Forgive our former strivings after our own righteousness, O Lord. In our smallness, let us celebrate your greatness. In the ocean of your presence, let us taste anew the freedom of children on holiday. Let us ride open these waves of endless grace. 
self-consciously delighting in the scale of a creation and of a creator and of a redemption so much grander than ourselves. Amen and amen. And God, would you make us a people who learn to worship you with our whole hearts, who proclaim to the idols around us that they are not because you are, and who live lives in such a way that the kings and kingdoms that people around us build for themselves that they would come and be drawn into a place of worship before you. May our witness, God, shape the worship of this world around us. It's in the name of Jesus that we hope and pray these things.